0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe.
0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
1: In a world that's perfect lies a perfect little town where one team stands alone. But now, something stirring that will change this place forever. Perfect <laughs> Welcome to Perfectville, your first place podcast for your Miami Dolphins. Now part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network and the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. I am Sam Marcoux and he is the two-time, yes, two-time Hall of Famer. Of course, I am talking about none other than the Dr. Christopher Cullen. Dr. Cullen, how the hell are you, my friend?
0: Oh, you know, good good as you can be when you're essential and the world is the way it is right now. I mean, that's really all we can say, but... Things like this, the podcast, uh, are keeping me chugging along, man. I need these kind of uh, distractions with everything going on.
1: How about you? Uh, I'm doing all right. I mean, like you said, the podcast is a good distraction. Uh, Stand-up comedy is pretty much dead. I don't even know how I'm going to end up doing performance art in this case, stand-up comedy. Once uh, everything starts, You're doing to good up. online. I love
0: the uh, quarantine roast. That was beautiful.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that's 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 the new reality for anybody in in the performing arts businesses. There's not going to be you know these crowded. dark... I mean, the the, the beauty of stand-up comedy is that you were supposed to be in the dark. You're supposed to be sitting next to somebody that you don't know where they've been or where they're going next, and you just share that moment next to each other, coughing, laughing, breathing on each other while somebody else makes you laugh harder and spit more air particles and water particles all over everything. That's gone. <laughs> that's, a, that's a felony now. You can't do that. So uh, in order to do anything creative, at least in that space, uh, you have to take it online. And I started doing comedy shows. I think I was one of the first to actually do that and embrace that online. And then uh, everyone else did it. And I was like, ah, fuck it. You know, it's almost like when the band that you love signs with a major label and you're like, I don't like them anymore. Um, so I was so trying it's to like do,
0: us starting this podcast.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, we started this <laughs> podcast and then a whole bunch of other people did it and some do it better and some don't, but it was kind of like, ah, eh, we did it first. We We've been there, done that, <laughs> got the t-shirt. And then, um, uh, lo and behold, what happened, Chris, and I, I told you this story, I actually got hired to do a roast of, yes. um, people in a company who had, um, you know, they were running a contest as to who had the best slash worst, Uh, quarantine photos after eight, nine weeks in quarantine. And they sent me a bunch of uh, candidates and I just kind of roasted them and, and, and sent that in and they loved it. And the light bulb went off over my head and I said, you know what? I should do this with my friends and family because why the fuck not? I mean, if I can sit here and judge you under the guise of comedy and you're going to laugh about it instead of getting mad, uh, that's the best of both worlds. So yeah, I started doing the quarantine roasts online. So if people want to send me their before and after pics of what they looked like before, the end of the world, and what they look like now during it, I'm more than happy to throw you up on the screen and uh, talk shit about you. So uh, you can find me, you can email me, samisneat10 at com or Podcast at gmail.com. I'll take them there as well. And maybe we'll do a Miami Dolphins, uh, Perfectville, Citizens of Perfectville roast edition there, Chris.
0: Yeah, maybe we can uh, get all these nerds in Tua jerseys, and uh, you can have at it with them. Maybe, maybe I can do that. Uh, you know, before we get into that, obviously, that's setting something up, but... Um, <laughs> Um, Mine would look exactly the same. I'm still the ugly Hall of Fame doctor from before this all happened because, uh, like I said, to start the show, I'm essential, and I work with the public, uh, the disgusting, gross public, so I actually have to shave and be presentable. Regardless, so um, there's no point in me sending you a photo. Everybody on Twitter knows how ugly I am. I have myself as a kid, as my avatar, so that's how you know how much of a piece of shit I look like now. So, But I love it. It's hilarious. It's fun. I love watching it.
1: Yeah, it's something to do when I when I can't do the other things. So uh, we'll check that out. Any citizens of Perfectville you want to send me your photos, we'll do a Miami Dolphins quarantine roast edition. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll make fun of you. And uh, speaking of making fun of Chris, you kind of alluded to it. It wasn't going to be the first topic of the day, but why not? Uh, Tua jerseys, our, our number five overall draft pick in the recent draft, uh, Tua uh pretty close. Uh, mm. His jersey sales, I believe, were number one and number three. They might be number one and number two now. Uh, When it comes to overall jersey sales in the NFL and basically small, medium and large sizes are now sold out completely. And I've seen wait times for these Tua jerseys, Chris, these Miami Dolphins number one Tua jerseys. I have seen wait times of up to October of this year, which is a good five months away from right now, Chris. Uh, Tua obviously putting the Miami Dolphins back into the relevant space again, uh, making a ton of money for the NFL fanatics and everybody else. Uh, Very popular jersey. In fact, the most popular jersey in the NFL, Chris. What do you make of Tua Mania?
0: (laughs) Um, Look, I'll preface with I'm excited. I'm excited about Tua. I think he's a great kid. I think he has a great family. And I think he's going to do a lot of wonderful things for our community, for our football team, for our franchise, and for our locker room. Um, And hopefully, health bearing, knocking on wood. Hopefully, you hear that. Um, He's going to be around the Miami Dolphins for a very long time. So, Let's just get that out of the way. Secondly, (laughs) there's too many people um, that complain on a daily basis, uh, adults on Miami Dolphins forums, Twitter, Facebook, that they own all these other men's jerseys. Uh, that no longer play for us, and it's almost like it's a curse. And they're buying, you know, they got Wake, and they've got Landry, and they've got uh, Tannehill, uh, and it never works out. And I have been a long proponent against buying another man's jersey. Now, if you're a kid and you like look up to this dude, sure, have at it. If you have photos of you in a Dan Marino jersey when you're eight, that's fucking normal. That's fine. But (laughs) Sam, waiting five months. For a kids jersey that could barely buy beer, um, and you're in your 40s and 50s, just is it's just odd to me. I, and, and I mean, I get it. Everybody's excited. They want to rock the Tua jersey and say they got one. Uh, he hasn't played one down for us. Right. <laughs> it's 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 interesting that he's you know I, it's very actually very surprising. If somebody put a gun to my head and said even after we drafted him and I saw the excitement of the fan base, would he outsell Tom Brady going to no. Tampa? I would say hell no. But he, he, he did. It, it's unreal. And not only that, but he's doing it in two different colors. <laughs> like it's it's insane, um, which also I think is a very perfect uh, example of how torn our fan base is on the aqua jerseys and white jerseys. A uh, lot love them, a lot love the other one. Uh, I, I think white goes better with clothing. Yes. Khakis, blue jeans, black pants, whatever. Uh, but I don't have a, I like to personalize jerseys, put your own last name on it and your favorite number and represent your team, sure. But there's just something to me, to me personally, odd about like this, this weird attention and love of putting another man's football jersey on your body, especially if they're like two decades younger than you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tua is 22 years old and a very young <laughs> 22. He turned 22 in early March of this year. He was born in 1998, which I think is the last year that I actually bought a he jersey isn't. of somebody else, and I was 16 years old. Um, I think I tend to agree with you. I don't I don't spend a lot of money on merchandise of any player, uh, of any individual player, unless they are like a throwback classic player. Like, I have a Cam Wake jersey. I will wear that because he's, he's a legend when it comes to the Miami Dolphins. A Zach Thomas, Jason Taylor, Sam Madison. I'll even give you Patrick Sertan, and if you really want to get into it, Tim Bowens. I'll let a Tim Bowens jersey slide. Um, Dan Marino, obviously. Uh, Don Shula, if you can get yourself a Don Shula, anything right now. Uh, More props to you. We'll talk about Donnie in just a little bit. I have a hard time buying a jersey of any 22-year-old man um, as a (laughs) 37-year-old man myself. And it, it has nothing to do with anything other than it's a very weird uh you know god status when you're putting uh you're putting a rookie quarterbacks you're putting all your hopes and dreams and spending a fuck ton of money man these are not inexpensive pieces so of clothing expensive. Uh, And and you're putting it into a rookie quarterback that has never played it down in the NFL. It just seems like maybe not the best way to spend your money, especially during a pandemic. But you know what, like you said, he's selling out not only Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, uh, and all these other just like, you know, Lamar Jackson, all these new age quarterbacks that seem like they would be really, really popular jerseys. Um, He's outpacing all of them. And to your point about the white jerseys going with khaki pants, I'm here to tell you, white khaki pants don't go with any jersey. If you're wearing khaki pants, do not put a jersey on. <laughs> Get yourself an official team-licensed polo with the Dolphins oh, polo, logo yeah. in this corner. That's what you wear with the fucking pleated pants, okay? Jim Harbaugh, you don't put the goddamn jersey on <laughs> over the top. I don't care if you just came from work. Just don't do it. It's not a good look, <laughs> and I'm going to make fun of you. And I'll probably put it on the quarantine roast of the Miami Dolphins and uh, everything else. But, uh, no, I—, I I'm not a guy that's going to go out and get a Tua jersey. I will say this. If the Miami Dolphins win a Super Bowl with Tua as the quarterback, I will buy a Tua jersey. That is sure. my place. He
0: cemented his legacy at that point. Yes. I mean, that that makes sense. And you know what? And I'm not – and let me also kind of defend myself too because I know people are, th- are just seething right now that are listening to this. bunch of fucking nerds in their ba- mom's basement like, oh, I got Shots, three two jerseys. No, I'm just kidding. No, but seriously, there's a lot of people that get those jerseys and hang them up or put them in a shadow box or something. Sure. That, that's that's, that's kind of cool too. I mean, I mean still it's – borderline weird. you know, I, I have a 10, I had a Tannehill Jersey hanging up, but it was signed and it like matched the decor. I didn't put it like in my living room, like where I, I would just like fawn over it. It went next to my fireplace and my family photos. Like it was out in a sports memorabilia, um, area. Right. So, but I still will give a little bit different props to that. But you're wearing that outside. Like, you're like, yeah, look at me. I fucking love this kid. It's like, he doesn't even know who you are. Right. <laughs> and you gave him money to buy his jersey, and he hasn't even done anything yet. Look, I, I, and I, and don't let this be a mistake, as I, I think it's weird to wear – team apparel t-shirts or pants or anything like that. No, you rep the, the, the fin, the, the logo on the side of the helmet. We are Dolphins fans. Jason Taylor went and played for the fucking Jets, for God's sake. So, I mean, players leave. They go on to other places. We're a Dolphins fan only. So if you got a t-shirt on with a logo, no fucking problem. Let's rep our team. Let's, let's wear our shit and go out to buy some beer and like, you know, get in a debate with some, you know, dumbass Patriot fan. <laughs> That's no problem, but you're God bless you. But if you're wearing like a jury and you're like, hey, look at this, and you're doing the RVD and like pointing at his name, and you're 45, like, holy shit, man! Uh, just there's just something with that to me. I, I don't know what it is.
1: I, I love the fact that you're cussing, swearing, calling people names. I sneeze, and you stop in the middle of this rant to say, "God bless you," very nice and polite, and then go right back to swearing doctor. and
0: cussing. <laughs> i goddamn doctor and Hall of Famer. I've got some class.
1: And here's the other thing that you brought up. I hadn't even thought about this angle, but you're absolutely right. We do see people on Twitter and everywhere else and part of the Dolphins fan base universe uh, talking about all these jerseys of failed experiments. And they'll just, you know, they'll, yes. they'll put up all of these bad running backs or like a Ryan Tannehill jersey or, or you know, like whatever jersey. And it's of somebody who didn't do well. And they're the same people that are out there buying a Tua jersey. It's like, you've already admitted that you're bad luck. Why are you putting this bad fucking yeah. juju on you're, the new guy that we all want to fucking up your Tua
0: jersey next to a Carlos Dansby jersey.
1: Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Like, get the
0: picture, dude. Get a personalized jersey, and you'll never fail.
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's not my thing. It's not the way I work. I will say this, though. If we're talking about Dolphins fashion, I have seen recently on Twitter, uh, a lot of people are unboxing these Miami Dolphins Air Jordan shoes, and I'm not a big Jordan guy or, or big sneakerhead by any means, uh, but those look clean. Have you seen those, Chris? No, I need somebody to tweet those to me ASAP. Uh, oh, somebody will, and they're, they're they're basically white, and they've got a little bit of orange and a little bit of aqua on them, and they look Absolutely stunning. And I would buy those in a heartbeat, except for the fact that they're probably more money than the jerseys that we're just talking about. Uh, but all this aside, this is a lot of uh, negative, but I will say this. Good job on Tua, right? I mean, this guy yeah, yeah. hasn't even thrown one freaking pass in the NFL yet, not even in training camp, mini camp or anything. Hasn't even met his teammates because he's not even allowed to. <laughs> um, and he's selling more jerseys than everybody else out there. I mean, if nothing else, it's a it's a feel good story for our new quarterback, is it not? Yeah, no, for for sure, and and
0: uh, please, I, there was negativity towards the adult men babies that buy these jerseys. That's a whole different thing. Like I'm excited for Tua, and I'm excited for the fan base to be excited. I know we were all excited during the draft when we got him, and I'm excited about his future. And I'm I'm very happy he's our quarterback. And for team purposes, I think he's going to help us, and that has me excited. So I, I'm not downing Tua at all. Good for him. Make your money, dude. I, I'm all I'm all for that. You made the University of Alabama plenty of money. Um, don't don't get me wrong i'm very excited for this guy but it was just on that whole side of like the excitement of looking i got my tua jersey like you know cabbage patch kids in the 80s like everybody's so excited for that like calm down it's not a beanie baby
1: yeah i mean i just let's let's all just be clear let's be perfectly and abundantly clear don't get mad at us for making fun of tua because we're not we're making fun we're making fun of fun, you fun of Yua, not Tua. <laughs> you we're out there spending all your hard-earned money. Most of you are furloughed or laid off right now, or you're not essential, and you're spending your money on a goddamn you know that's even worse. Toy jersey, daddy,
0: what's for dinner? Nothing. I got my fucking Tua throwback.
1: Yeah, we're gonna have pineapple and in, uh, in response to Tua because that's all we can afford. After I <laughs> bought this jersey, <laughs> we're gonna get so much shit for this. Oh, <laughs> ah, who cares? don't yeah,
0: no, I'm teen and fucking essential. I don't, care. I don't give a shit.
1: Speaking of getting so much shit here, Chris, that's a nice transition into what I want to talk about next because I have gotten so much shit on Twitter, uh, at the Perfectville Pod uh, uh, Twitter handle, uh, over this Devontae Parker, Michael Thomas mess. So uh, let's just fill everyone in because the news cycle is probably going to spit this out by the time you actually listen to this tomorrow. Um, Devontae Parker was asked a question whether it would be – harder to catch a ball over Stephon Gilmore or easier to break up a pass with Michael Thomas. And he said, it's harder to catch a ball over Stephon Gilmore. Michael Thomas went into a hissy fit and basically started calling Devontae Parker out and saying, you've had one good season out of six. And uh, Devontae Parker claps back by saying, are you mad? Let me get targeted 300 times and I'll have as many stats as you do. And then Michael Thomas came back and said, don't blame a quarterback, blame your parents. Basically saying you're not a good (laughs) athlete. And these two are going back and forth. You're talking about two pretty mere wide receivers in the NFL right now, and um, one of them is a Miami Dolphin. This is Miami Dolphins podcast, so naturally, I should be taking the side of Devontae Parker, but I am not. I'm taking the side of Michael Thomas here. Devontae Parker, I think, Chris, needs to shut the fuck up right now. <laughs> and the, Don't go after Michael Thomas. Don't go after the guy who has the record for the most amount of catches in a season when you've had one good season out of six. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Devontae Parker, but shouldn't he go after, like, I don't know, Hunter Renfro or somebody like that? Like, Does he have to start at the top? Maybe he should just cut somebody in the middle. Maybe go after Jakeem Grant and talk about how short he is and how he can't stay healthy. Go after your own teammates, practice, work yourself up, and then when you get two seasons of good football, you can maybe go play with DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas and get that seat at the table. Am I wrong on this? Oh, you're so wrong. And we uh, usually agree on everything. You're so
0: wrong on this. Sam, he didn't go after anybody. He didn't target, put a sniper on Michael Thomas and at him and, you know, and shit on him. He, he's speaking from experience. He plays against Stefan Gilmore twice a year. For the last few seasons, he's been a Miami Dolphin. He knows how hard it is to play against this guy and with limited success. I mean, yeah, he had a great game, a couple games this year against him, but that is a hard player to go against. He's speaking from experience and all he did was answer. He just said A. He didn't say A. Hashtag Michael Thomas is a bum. A, a hashtag, uh, I could cover Michael Thomas. None of that. He just he kept him out of his mentions. He answered a question that's completely relevant to him because he plays professional football against Gilmore. So he knows exactly firsthand how hard that is. And, and he voted. And that's it. And then Michael Thomas gets in this bitch fest and just goes crazy.
1: you blame your parents? Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's like, a good <laughs> – I don't know. I think that's a good slam. Hey, don't blame a quarterback. Blame your parents, homie. But, I thought that was but good.
0: But Parker wasn't wrong either. He's playing with Drew Brees who has a 97-year-old t- Ed Ginn, who I was a teenager that was drafted in the NFL is the only other outlet that he has to throw to other than a white BYU quarterback playing slot receiver. That's the only people Drew Brees has to throw to. Of course he's chucking it up to Michael Thomas 37 times a game. Of course he's going to have 1,000 yards. He plays in a dome with Drew Brees. Devontae Parker has been playing with Jay Cutler with a cigarette in his mouth and like Ryan Tannehill pissing blood and Matt Moore. Like, Of course Michael Thomas is going to have better numbers. You don't think Devontae Parker with Tom Brady or Drew Brees would have closer numbers than Michael Thomas I'm not saying better but closer I think he's completely right to blame or at least call out quarterback play coaching the blocking's been terrible to where he can't get open it took him. A- Fucking 40-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick that just has fuck it, chuck it football tattooed on his low, lower back to have Devontae have an actual good season because he gives him a chance to go up from 50-50 balls. Devontae Parker was defending himself. This is quarantine, man. We're in prison, basically. He just voted and said A and went about his day, and he looked at his phone, and he's blasted by mentions from Michael Thomas for no fucking reason. He's got to defend himself, and I'm glad he did because he would look like a bitch if he didn't.
1: Okay, look, I understand that Michael Thomas maybe maybe took this a little bit too far. I understand that and, he and just he, said a, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I understand that maybe, and perhaps Devontae Parker was mistaken. Maybe they were thinking, maybe he was thinking of his former teammate Michael Thomas, who's now a safety <sighs> for the New York Giants. <laughs> And was thinking, yeah. That, no, he's on that the does. Texans now. Okay, I think I'm been sorry. Cut. Like every other Miami Dolphin that's out there, he's now on the Texans. We probably got a first-rounder for him, too, even though he came from the Giants there. They just gave us a first-rounder because that's what Bill O'Brien does. But maybe he was thinking of Michael Thomas and was like, yeah, it doesn't seem like that would be that very, you know, <laughs> that hard to actually break up a pass from a safety. And then Michael Thomas, the wide receiver, got after him. Here's the thing. Devonte Parker has only gone up against Stephon Gilmore, and here's the other thing: I don't think it was that hard to catch that many fucking balls against Stephon Gilmore. He proved that in the last game of the season when he had eight balls for four thousand fucking yards and seventeen touchdowns. It doesn't seem that hard. I think it is harder to actually break up a pass with Michael Thomas than it is to catch a ball over Stephon Gilmore. I think Devontae Parker got the answer wrong, and I think Michael Thomas is a better wide receiver. I'm sorry, Doll fans, he is. He's a better wide receiver. It's proven in the stats and on tape and everywhere else than Devonte Parker is right now. Does that mean I hate Devontae Parker? No, I just think Devontae Parker should probably laugh this off, then maybe go after a wide receiver that he can cut down and then point at the scoreboard and say, take a look at that, bitch, because I think Michael Thomas has him right here. Now, Michael Thomas, a little bit over uh, overprotective of his own name and stats, perhaps. But I just think Devontae Parker maybe uh, jumped off a little bit too much. I hope he proves me wrong. Again, I hope just like when Travis Wingfield called Devontae Parker fat and then four years later Devontae Parker <laughs> got into shape and started catching the ball like he was supposed to, I hope he listens to this podcast and says, fuck that guy, Sam, and his stupid quarantine roast. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to go prove him wrong again. I hope that's what he does. And I can come back here in a year and say, I was wrong. Michael Thomas sucks. But I think right now Devontae Parker may have bitten off a little bit more than he can chew when the wide receiver elite game.
0: But then we would be trashing him if if he ignored him or, or or didn't defend himself. So I I think he was in a tough spot there. All he did was vote. He didn't say vote hashtag Michael Thomas is trash. Like he, he just voted. That's it. But also you brought up a great point. And I just thought of this, didn't he get into it with Travis and now they're like coworkers
1: (laughs) in a way. I mean, I'm pretty sure Travis (laughs) Wingfield's singing a different tune right now, but oh, look how great Devontae Parker is. And I don't blame him (laughs) because Devontae Parker is great. But yeah. And the thing is that whole thing got blown out of proportion. I think Travis was trying to, to grab a little bit of a headline and then grab that headline and was like, Oh, Oh, shit, this is uh, this <laughs> he is saw it. Oh no, <laughs>
0: <laughs> all of a sudden, he's, he's got the same mentions Devontae did when Michael Thomas attacked him.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's a weird moment though. Like when you, when you, uh, when, when you, when you take on an athlete or a celebrity on Twitter and you don't think they're ever going to respond, and then you look down at your notifications and you <laughs> see that that person has responded to you, and you're just like, oh. Oh, fuck. I don't know if I actually want to open this up or not. This could be a problem. This could be great. It could be both. I'm not sure. Speaking of Travis Wingfield before we move on, he's uh, he's about to be a father for the first time. Chris, you're a dad. I'm a dad. Uh, I just want to say on behalf of both of us and the entire town of Perfectville, congratulations to Travis Wingfield and his lovely wife. Uh, pretty soon, if not even today, pretty close uh, to being a father for the first time. So that's exciting news for Travis. That's amazing.
0: What a year for him. Like, everybody else is having the worst year possible. Travis is having the greatest yeah. year of all time, yeah, uh, it like 2020.
1: Too many people are dying since he got promoted to being on the Miami Dolphins. He's like, I don't know, life's okay.
0: <laughs> I'm okay. i about to be a dad. I work for the Miami Dolphins. Well, I don't know what everybody's complaining about 2020. My best bud, Devontae <laughs> Parker, you know, Parker
1: and I. Devontae Parker and I At the made beach up. with our awesome bodies. Yeah, we're doing fine. <laughs> No, but fine. really
0: a uh, quick story on that. Um, I was in a break room of my branch and we had like three channels on the shitty TV with an antenna, like one of those just tube TVs that were like the size of a, uh, you know, a Nintendo game boy. And, uh, we'd get like three shows, King of Queens would come on and then like Frasier, ugh, and then like, you know, uh, family feud or something. And I was back in my lunch break and just these horrible public service announcement commercials would come on that were just so bad. And obviously from like 1993, cause they had the big gray cell phones. Right. And I'm watching this one and it's, A PSA about um, alcoholism, and um, it was a white male and a black female, uh, obviously a couple. And he came in sweaty and gross, and she's like, "You went to the bar again, didn't you?" And he's like, "I didn't mean to." And it like zoomed in on his face all awkwardly, and I'm like, "Is that fucking Adam Richman from Man vs. (laughs) Food? Like that guy? Like really?" And so I, I tweeted and I was just like oh hey I think I just saw Adam Richmond in this shitty fucking PSA commercial and all of a sudden he follows me and DMs me and goes yo bro as one Miami Dolphins fan to another can you please delete that tweet <laughs> and I'm like uh, yeah sure man you got it and I did because he was famous and I didn't think you'd see it but obviously he was really upset about that uh, and now it's on our podcast but uh, yeah it was it, it was really if somebody could find that that'd be fantastic and and then I also found out I, I didn't know he was a Dolphins fan unless he just does that to every person that shits on him he finds their profile and he's like hey dude as a Jets fan like could you not um who knows but it was a horrible commercial it was so
1: bad well so right now we have uh Devontae Parker who hates Travis Wingfield and now me we have the entire uh Miami Dolphins fan base who bought two of jerseys hating both of us and we have Adam Richmond hating you so we are we're doing quite well for ourselves here in the town of Perfectville Chris it's a little too early for Mary hates mess huh yeah, we're not to uh, Hatesgiving or Merry Hatesmith. That's a little bit later this year, but I think the list is going to be long and plenty when it comes to those particular podcasts later this year. Quarantine uh, and we're shooting our shot. Well, and uh, shooting our shot. And speaking of Christmas and later this year, the Miami Dolphins, as well as the rest of the NFL, will be playing Right around Christmas, right around Thanksgiving, uh, the the schedule is out. Breaking news, Chris. The schedule's been out for a couple of weeks. Uh, you and I have not talked about it, so we're going to talk about it now for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we do this every single year. We take a look at the matchups and say, hey, what looks good, what looks bad? And two, I think we're contractually obligated to talk about a schedule Uh, when you are uh, a sports podcast. So uh, are you ready to talk about the 2020 schedule for the Miami Dolphins? There are a couple things here, Chris, that I do want to bring up that I think are pretty interesting. Um, And I want to get your take as to uh, what games you're looking forward to the most and what games you would be going to if you were allowed to go to any game. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. I got a few bullet points as well. Let's do it.
1: All right. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to run through the schedule as quickly as possible, and then we'll just talk about the individual matchups and how these things all uh, align here. So, number one, week one is against New England in New England. We ended the 2019. 2019 season in New England. So this is almost a back-to-back in New England. Week 1 against the Patriots. Week 2 is the home opener against the Buffalo Bills. Week 3 is against Jacksonville in Jacksonville on a Thursday night. Week 4 is Seattle Seahawks coming to Miami. Week 5 is San Francisco. We're going all the way across the country to San Jose, Santa Clara, California to play the San Francisco 49ers. That doesn't make sense, but whatever. We'll stay on the road against the Denver Broncos. Then we'll go home against the Los Angeles Chargers, and then at home against the Los Angeles Rams. We then go back on the road to the West Coast, quote unquote, to the Arizona Cardinals. We then play the New York Jets at home. We have a bye week, and then we play the New York Jets in New York, technically actually New Jersey, in week 12. Then we play the Cincinnati Bengals at home, the Kansas City Chiefs at home, and the New England Patriots at home for week 13, 14, 15. Week 16 is against the Las Vegas Raiders to be determined as to when we will play that game. And then week 17 against the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. In January, so there is your schedule. Um, uh, that's everybody we're playing, and the weeks that we are playing them. We have a late bye week, week eleven, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, but Chris, what is your initial thought when you saw the schedule released? What's uh, what's the thing that stuck out to you the most?
0: Well, two things: one, uh, it's hard as fuck, and uh, two, we have like one cold game this year. Like, yeah, we'll be in New Jersey on the twenty ninth of November, but. Eh. I mean, to play the Patriots week one and we get the Bills, the last game of the season, that's going to be our only cold game. We've got the Chiefs at home. We've got uh, the Patriots um, early, the first game of the year in New England. So really one cold game, a lot of West Coast travel, uh, but a lot of teams from the West Coast coming over too, and that's what happens when you play the NFC and AFC West. Right. Uh, so, yeah, very interesting to me. I, I do like the setup. A late bye is obviously very uh, good for us, but, man, we have some tough, tough fucking teams to play.
1: We do. I mean, we play both teams that were in the Super Bowl last year in the Kansas City (laughs) Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. It seems like that happens just about every single year. Uh, We do have some West Coast travel, but uh, going to San Francisco um, early and... After that, we kind of lucked out because the West Coast teams that we actually have to travel to go see are the Arizona Cardinals, which is not in California, so not all the way to the West Coast, and the now Las Vegas Raiders, so we don't have to come back to the Bay Area, which is kind of a bummer for me, but they've moved since uh, away from Oakland to Las Vegas, so a little bit of a shorter flight, Um, and then the Los Angeles teams come to Miami. Um, Seattle, which is the furthest plane ride you can possibly have from Miami to Seattle or back and forth. They come to Miami. So I think we kind of lucked out. We also lucked out because the, we were originally scheduled to have a home game in London. That has now been wiped off the map. Um, so a lot of the travel that we could have possibly had isn't going to happen, Chris. So, yes, we do have some tough teams. I mean, the New England Patriots still have Bill Belichick. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are much improved. You have the Kansas City Chiefs that are going to be good. You got the San Francisco 49ers in there. I mean, you do have some really quality teams. Uh, however, looking at the schedule, something else that I thought was kind of fun and interesting. We play the New York Jets basically back to back. We have a bye week in between, <laughs> but we have the New York Jets, a bye week, and then the New York Jets. It's almost like a home and home series, like you see in the NBA or the NHL. I don't can't I can't remember the last time I've seen something like that. And then the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is that we start with New England. But we end with Buffalo in Buffalo, and now sometimes that happens just as a function of, hey, this is how it makes the most sense, but somebody else brought this up, and I don't remember who it was, Uh, but looking at the schedule, it seems to me that the NFL is looking at that last week and seeing the Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills, uh, now that Tom Brady's out Uh, of New England, now that the New England Patriots are no longer favored to be this gargantuan dominant force that they've been for the last 20 years, it seems to me that the NFL is banking on the Miami Dolphins and Buffalo Bills being the two teams that could possibly win the AFC East outside of the New England Patriots, and that Week 17 matchup may hold the cards to everything happening.
0: That's a great point, and I had not thought of that, but it's very interesting take because normally you're right. You see a, a big divisional game of like the Bills Patriots, Jets Patriots, or Austin Patriots because they're just hoping one of those teams are going to be formidable against these teams. And and this season, out of all of them, with Buffalo returning so many players in their cap space from a playoff team a year ago, uh, with uh, Tom Brady-less New England Patriots, it's a very good uh, bet that Buffalo would be in the running to be the best team in the AFC East. And... and everybody's calling us much improved, but we won five games with a replacement team roster, like right. really bad. And we have since added Agba, Shaq Lawson, Byron Jones, all these draft picks. Um, I can totally see us just at least playing their asses off of Brian Flores and being a eight, nine win team. And if that's the case, that very well could be a very uh, clear wild card or division game to end the season. One thing that stood out to me, and I'll ask you this, Sam, I'll ask you two questions, actually just, um, uh, one's a quick one uh, you, you mentioned the 49ers uh, also we actually do a back-to-back Denver's not the west coast but it's pretty close right we got we got 49ers in Denver we might actually stay a West Coast based on that I, I don't know what your thoughts on that uh, some teams have been doing that where we go play the 49ers and kind of hang out uh, maybe even possibly in the Denver region uh, just to get used to the high altitude altitude for a week practice there and have the game on Sunday what do you think about that and then I'll follow up with um, if you would name the home game that should, I don't know if we know but what do you think would have been the vegas uh the um london game our home game that we ended up getting back in miami
1: no that's a great point so here's 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 what i'm going to say i think it makes a lot of sense uh you know pandemic aside or maybe because of the pandemic for us to stay on the west coast it's early you're not in the way of any holidays you're not gonna you know gonna miss Christmas or Thanksgiving or anything like that it's week five and week six so you're talking you know October uh, early November so you, you you have the ability I think to go to San Francisco or Santa Clara play the 49ers and then go like you said to Denver practice in Denver for a week and get yourself situated as to the mile high temperature or not temperature but elevation and everything there and play what's going to be a pretty tough Denver Broncos team at home. Uh, I think that's actually the best case scenario if they can swing that, if they can say, look, we're going to stay out here for two weeks. That's what I would do. I think that would be uh, probably the best way um, to tackle that part of the schedule because that is a lot of traveling. And then after that, you actually get two home games against two teams, the Los Angeles Chargers and yes. Rams, uh, that are going to have to fly across the country to play us. So I think that works to our advantage. Uh, I do like the Week 11 bye week, uh, again, barring any injuries, because if you have an injury early where somebody's going to miss like three or four weeks, you kind of want an early bye week. So we don't really know, but just you know, by default, I kind of like having the late bye week. And then to answer your question as to what I think the game would have been, um, two games stick out to me. As to what could have been the home game. Uh, week 4 against Seattle. I think that would have been a matchup to, uh, to highlight over in the United Kingdom. And then uh, Week 14 against the Kansas City Chiefs. Because yep. we do know it was a home game. And I do think having the world champion Kansas City Chiefs play in uh, England... Um, in the United Kingdom with the Miami Dolphins, who have a pretty rabid fan base over there. I think that would have been a big money maker. That would have been a big primetime game. So those are the two that I think would have happened. It would have been the Seattle Seahawks uh, or the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Yeah, great call and and actually those are probably the two games I would have liked to have gone to. Right. Uh or would it, it and still might if things change and there's fans allowed, but uh it would I'm ne- I'm never going to go to a Jets game again. The fans are just disgusting, they're hostile, they're inbreds. Um but yeah, a, a Chief game or like um, you know, Seahawk game where we don't hate each other. We only play every once every four years. We're not in the same conference. That's kind of a cool, you know, kind of give each other a little shit, but enjoy the, enjoy the day. Um, I, I would hate to go to a freaking, you know, like a Raiders jets game Patriots game where they're just, you know, you get beer thrown on you. We experienced that together in New York and New Jersey. Um, so yeah, I, I, I those are be actually the fun, funny that you picked those as the England games that those would be the games I would most likely go to if a uh, home crowd is available.
1: Yeah, so the games that I would have gone to, obviously the San Francisco 49ers game and the Las Vegas Raiders game, both of those teams are near and dear to the bottom Oof. of my heart. Have you been to uh, a Raiders Dolphins game? I have. I've been to many Raider Dolphins oh, how game. Was In that? fact, Oof. they were fine. You know, it was actually kind of funny. So one of the last times I went to a Raider Dolphins game, um, Ronnie Brown was on the team, and we were kicking the shit out of them. And these guys were talking shit to Ronnie Brown, and all Ronnie Brown did was look at the scoreboard and kind of squint at it, and then point at it, and then kind of look at the people that were talking shit to him right behind the stands, and then look back <laughs> at it and go, "What does that say again?" Because we were winning, and go, "I don't know. I guess I, I don't know. I guess we're losing. I don't know." And we were up by like you know twenty one points or something like that. So that was kind of fun to just <laughs> see him Ronnie Brown literally point and say, "Scoreboard, mother." fucker. Um, So that was kind of fun. I've never really had any problems at any Oakland Raider games. I had problems at the Jets game that you and I went to for sure. I've had problems at San Francisco 49er games. uh, That's for sure. But uh, I've never really had any problems at Raider games. And I usually go with Raiders, Raider, you know, friends. So I'm usually insulated from there. Um, But I would say I would love to go to a Kansas City Chiefs Dolphins game just because that team is so good. But I also don't want to go to a game where I'm going to get the, You know, my dick kicked in all the way through. So looking at this, uh, I do have some questions for you, but to answer your question, I think uh, I would like to go to the Cincinnati Bengals-Miami Dolphins game. And the reason Mm -hmm. I say that is because you're looking at Joe Burrow, who is the number one overall pick for the Cincinnati Bengals, QB1, and then you have Tua, our guy. The guy who's selling out jerseys everywhere, which by the way, suck it, Joe Burrow, um, playing for <laughs> us. The second quarterback picking, uh, picking, picking, chosen in the NFL draft. So you have the potential to have the number one and number two quarterbacks chosen from the 2020 draft playing each other in week 13 when the Bengals play the Miami Dolphins. That would be kind of a fun, intriguing matchup. Um, which leads me to my next question here, Chris. What game do you predict that Tua makes his debut? And what game do you predict that Tua? Becomes the starter, if any, in 2020.
0: Ooh, that is a great choice. You don't want them playing against a team like the 49ers or the Broncos. Um, it actually would make a lot of sense after a, a double road game to play them against the Chargers, but then you're like asking for trouble with a Herbert uh, to a situation. Mm, mm-hmm. um, but I can definitely see it in a type of game like the Cardinals, maybe uh, right before the Jets in a bye week where. Um, you're, you're on the West Coast, no one's really watching the game because it's the Cardinals, um, but that's kind of tough because after that you definitely can't do the Jets or uh, maybe the Jets after a bye week. Um, yeah, yeah, possibly the Jets first game maybe and then get a bye, play the Jets again so you're playing the same team twice. Your first two games get kind of comfortable and then, yeah, that leads right into the Burrow to a matchup um, as, the, the week after that. Um, it, it's just interesting. I don't know if... There's a lot of people talking about redshirting Tua, and I think that's a good idea. But but if he is healthy and he's cleared by your doctors, he's cleared by everybody else, and he's clearly outplaying Fitzpatrick in any fashion. If Fitzpatrick's having his uh, very very. Normal second year blunder. Like he, he, this happens all the time. Where he right. like lights it up. He's the guy. He fits magic, and then he comes out. And you're like, oh yeah, that's why he's been on seventy teams. Um, that that happens all the time. And if that's the case, and all of a sudden he's sitting at eleven touchdowns, thirteen interceptions, and we're five and four, five or five, you know, three and six and Tua's just kicking ass in practice, you play the guy. Like, if he's healthy, you play him. And um, I can see that happening at any time. That's the thing with Tua. He's going to just – he's not going to, like, kind of fight for it or anything, like verbally, politically, anything like that. But he's going to go out there and kick ass in practice, and that's the type of player that a Saban, a Bilicek, and, of course, from the same tree, Flores is going to lean towards when uh, times are getting tough, and that could very well happen.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking at the front end of this schedule, and we all assume that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the starter for a number of reasons, health being number one, but uh, New England Patriots, Buffalo Bills, Jacksonville Jaguars, Seattle Seahawks, San Francisco 49ers, and Denver Broncos. That sounds like a lot of good defenses to me, and uh, you put a lot of good defenses against a young, unproven offensive line, and I think you want Ryan Fitzpatrick back there who knows how to handle uh, potential issues as opposed to Tua, who, again, despite all the jersey sales, uh, has not thrown a pass yet for the Miami Dolphins. So I think the earliest you might see him would be week seven when they come home after the long uh, road trip. Again, barring any injuries or just extreme ineffectiveness from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Another one that I thought would be kind of an interesting little play here, Chris, would be week 10. uh, You're playing Ryan Fitzpatrick against his former team, and then you've got a bye week. And then week 12, you're playing that same team, but maybe you've got a different quarterback under center with Tua as opposed to Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you give him that extra bye week, and then his first start. Is against the New York Jets in week 12. And you also have the Adam Gase effect. So all of a sudden now you're fucking with him. And you've got, uh, and we all know he doesn't pay attention to the defense. So you've got a different quarterback back there. And now all of a sudden you might have a tactical advantage on the road. Um, But here's the other thing strategically, you kind of want to have your first game with Tua, even if he's not the first game starting, but the first time he actually plays. I think you want to have that at home. You want him to have that crowd reaction. You want him to walk out onto the field and the crowd go, oh, shit, here it is. I've already got the jersey on. I've got two jerseys on of Tua, and uh, here he is playing. So I think the first time you might see him would be uh, either week four against Seattle or week seven against the Los Angeles Chargers. I think you might see a package or two. You might see him come in and actually do something. Uh, But I'm going to go with week 12 as his first start against the New York Jets after a bye week against Adam Gase. God,
0: you're you're brutal. Like week twelve at the New York Jets, his first game. Oh my God! I mean, he's obviously played at Auburn, he's played at Tennessee, he's played at uh, Georgia, so he's used to these hundred thousand fans booing him. He's not worried about it, and he's he's he shocked them all. So uh, I'm all for seeing if he's got the balls to go in there and do it. I know he does. I, I I've seen it. We saw it in the, when he came into the national championship game against Georgia, and you know com- completely picked up apart like half of their defense was first-round picks. Um, so yeah, th- I'm all for it. No matter what it takes, I don't think anything's going to be too big for him. Um, he has the opportunity to learn under Fitzpatrick, who I think will be super reliable and oh, someone yeah. that he will t- allow him to pick his brain and he'll give him every advice in the world and help him to be a pro, uh, except Tua just has... <laughs> better physical tangibles <laughs> so if you can learn from the harvard guy mentally and be physically better that just is going to make him a better quarterback all around
1: i totally agree and i think ryan fitzpatrick knows exactly what his role is here this is his last year with the miami dolphins as a player uh yeah. he's going to do everything he can to a uh play good ball have fun but also get to as up to speed as he possibly can because he knows at some point he's gonna to have to turn around and say it's your shot now and uh i don't know i just think from a business standpoint it makes sense to have him debut at home as much as you can and then uh i don't know I I mean, it really depends. I mean, look, if we go into the bye week, uh, week eleven, we've got ten games under our belt, and we're six and four. I don't think you're changing <laughs> from Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you're going <laughs> to no. ride that horse and say, "Look, you know, there's an extra wild card for the playoffs now. We have an option, uh, you know, a, a shot here." Um, but if you're four and six, yeah, what do you got to lose at that point? You're probably not going to the playoffs. You might as well put the new guy in and see what you got, and see if he can salvage that season, or at least give you hope, you know, going into the next season with six, seven, eight wins, or whatever it turns out to be. Um, so I don't know. Th- th- that's my shot in the dark as to when and where Tua will play. Um, and it's really going to depend on the coach, too. I mean, the coach is going to have to be comfortable, which uh, leads us into the last thing that I wanted to talk about here, Chris. Speaking of coaches, um, look, this happened a while back. Uh, It was very sad. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think other people have done fantastic jobs with um, uh, their eulogies and their memorials and everything else. But uh, the legend, one of the guys, one of two guys, really, when you think of the Miami Dolphins, Um, especially when you're my age and your age, that come to mind are Dan Marino and Don Shula. Uh, Don Shula passed away, had an incredible life. Dude was into his 90s, is an absolute legend when it comes to not only the Miami Dolphins, but the NFL in general. For my money, the greatest... Head coach in the history of the NFL. I mean, yes, he went seventeen and zero. He had the undefeated uh, season as a coach. This guy coached in six different Super Bowls. He's a multi-time Super Bowl champion as a coach. Uh, the guy is an icon. He's one of the guys that if you just show his face, or just a profile of his face, everyone knows exactly who he is. That's when you know you're a big deal. When they can just show like an outline of your face and they go, "That's Don Shula." Um, we lost him. Uh, he, he's he's passed. He's he's moved on. Uh, one of two guys. When you think of the Miami Dolphins, Dan Marino and Don Shula. So half of that equation is now is now gone. Very sad, but you know what? Long life. Um, he did a lot of good stuff. A great family man. Um, hated the Jets just like we did, so yep. he was a Miami Dolphins fan even after he was you know, no longer the coach of the Miami Dolphins. He didn't coach anywhere else after South Beach. Uh, he, yes, he coached the Cleveland Browns. Yes, he coached, coached the Baltimore Colts, but he found a home with the Miami Dolphins, and after that, he was just a Miami Dolphins guy for the rest of his life. And that is a, it's a fantastic legacy. Um, I know they're going to do something special for Don Shula when it comes to the Miami dolphins in the NFL this season. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Chris, uh, Don Shula,
0: Don Shula. Um, like you said, first coach I've ever known, uh, as a Miami dolphins fan, his chin and his hair and his face will always be that burnt image of what I expect my coach to look like on the sideline. Right. Um, he owns a steakhouse. He's the Don. He wore the aviator shades. I mean, like he's the closest thing to a mob boss in NFL history than you've ever seen. Uh, this guy owns his own steakhouse just so he can peddle money through it. I mean, like he's literally a good fella. And um, in all seriousness, uh, somebody mentioned it on Good Morning Football. If you think about head coaches in the NFL and what they've done through decades, the long-standing ones, they have their own style of coaching bill walsh you know and the west coast and things like that um defensively you look at um uh guys like mike ditka he's a very strong defensive coach with a run game and a and a controlling uh quarterback like a uh guy that can pick you apart chad pennington type that was his mo don shula based his teams on his players right if you think about the 70s they had a three-man running game Brian, bob greasy threw it like six times a game it's just run, 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 run. We win two Super Bowls. We go undefeated. Eighties come. We draft Dan Marino, the 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 arm of God, and all of a sudden we're a passing team. Did he make Dan Marino hand off the ball forty times? Hell no. He changed his coaching style based on the players he had, and that is something. And he was still great. He was still great. Out of all of his seasons, he had two two that were not winning seasons. That's right. un. Fucking believable, and it will never happen again. He's the winningest coach in NFL history. Bill Belichick will have to coach years and years and years even get close to it still uh, what he did over multiple decades to reach multiple generations of people think about who he coached in the 60s and 70s these baby boomers these guys that uh, grew up rough and tough Larry Zonka is breaking his fucking nose before football games to get pissed off and he's crying when Don Shula dies decades later like that's what he meant to these guys but then he's also getting in touch with OJ McDuffie and Aronde Gadsden and Dan Marino and Terry Kirby and these guys in the 90s and And and, and that is just one of those things that Don Shula did and the the type of coach he was where players gravitated from you no matter where you came from, what your age was, who you grew up with, how you grew up. Don Shula demanded respect, and he coached the hell out of you. And he'd run you on the beach. He would make you puke. He would scream at you, but he demanded fucking excellence, and he demanded excellence the right way. And that's why I'm – proud of him for being the coach he was proud of him for being vocal against Belichick and the Patriots and their cheating ways and I'm proud of him for being a fucking strong father business owner and always around the Dolphins organization because he's goddamn proud of that fin on the freaking side of the helmet and he has made me and you and a lot of fans the fans we are today because of the greatness he expected from his team and now us as fans uh, which has made us pretty cranky recently but is why we have such high expectations of the Miami Dolphins as a franchise because of how great He ran
1: it. You know when people. That's exactly right. I don't think I can really add too much to it, but I'm going to go ahead and try. I mean, this is a guy who coached Johnny Unitas in the Super Bowl, (laughs) and is also shaking hands with Patrick Mahomes. You know from from this MVP from this previous Super Bowl. That is the 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 lifespan here of Don Shula when you talk about the NFL from Johnny Unitas to Patrick (laughs) Mahomes, and that is crazy. And you said something here, Chris, that I'm going to I'm going to expand on. Um, Oftentimes. Probably far too often over the last 20 years, uh, Miami Doll fans, citizens of Perfectville, talk about how this was a once proud franchise. Yeah. And nobody's ever pinpointed when the fall from grace happened. But I'm here to tell you. The day Don Shula was let go as the coach of the Miami Dolphins was the start of the beginning of the end of the once proud franchise that is the Miami Dolphins. You, can, you can't take away what Jimmy Johnson did. Jimmy Johnson brought a lot of talent here. He brought a different era, and maybe it was time for Don Shula to move on after 33 years coaching the Miami Dolphins, um, or 30, something like that. But if you were to pinpoint, if you were to throw a dart in the timeline of the Miami Dolphins and say, when were they proud and when did that start eroding, it's right around when Don Shula was told, you no longer need to coach this team. And I stand by that. And that's not taking anything away from Jimmy Johnson. It is taking something away from Dave Wannstedt and all the other bozos we had after that. But that's it. I mean, he really was the reason why this was a once-proud franchise. He brought a level of superiority he brought a level of expectation, and he brought a level of class and winning that uh, this franchise, quite frankly, hasn't seen ever since. And you talked about Bill Belichick. I mean, Don Shula, in 33 seasons of coaching, um, being a head coach in the NFL, had 31 winning seasons. He averaged over 10 wins a season. Now you're talking about a guy who coached in an era where you had 14 regular season games right. for a large portion of that. That means when you go eight and six. You had a winning record. This guy was averaging 10 wins, over 10 wins, which means in that era he's losing less than four times every single season. Uh, The guy is a maniac when it comes to being a successful head coach. And like you talked about, Bill Belichick would have to average over 12 wins a season, I think for like the next four or five years, if I'm not mistaken, to pass Don Shula and the records that he has. So uh, when you want to put Don Shula into perspective as to where he lands on the all-time head coaches, I think he's at the top. Quite frankly, I, I mean, I know I'm a Miami Dolph fan and I'm biased, but you look at everything he did. You look at what he did over 30 years into different eras and generations of coaching like you talked about. He went from a defensive minded ball control, three headed monster running back offense to, oh, I've got the greatest arm in the history of the world. Yeah, go ahead and throw that ball. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he was able to recognize that, adjust to it, and be successful, which I think is the key. He was not only did he just adjust his entire philosophy uh, in terms of how you go to war in terms of football. But he was successful with it, which means he didn't he didn't take away his principles, he didn't take away um, you know his morals or anything else. Those were all still there. Those expectations still had to be met. He still had a level of excellence that he felt everyone needed to achieve. He just went to war a different way than he did previously, based on the weapons that he had. And that is an incredible, incredible coach, in my opinion.
0: He's that general in the uh, war movies that these young up and coming generals are fighting against them, and all they want and all they dream about is best this general that hasn't been bested. I mean, you're facing against um, the Steelers coach in the 70s and and then all of a sudden you got these greats coming in, these young bucks that know this, you know, all these young, different, brilliant minds in the 70s, 80s, 90s. uh, The Pete Carrolls, the Mike Dickas, uh, the Bill Cowers, and they're coming in. All they want to do is be as good as or better than Don Shul and Don just kept winning 10, 11, 12 games and besting them. Didn't matter the decade, didn't matter the players he had. He fit his system for his players, and for him to be so consistently great is one of the greatest um, accomplishments you can have as an NFL football coach because there's plenty of did it a long time, but there's not a lot or any that have done it a long time with so many different cast of characters. Because even if you think about Belichick, he's done it for the last 19, 20 years since 2000 to now. He's done it all with Tom Brady, the same quarterback. Like, that's it. Just one guy. Like, we're talking about – it's not like he had Jerome Bettis for 10 years prior to that, and they were just this running team, and, and, and the running game won games, and then he just switched over, and all of a sudden he's good with Tom Brady. That's all he did. He had a three-man running team. I mean, look at – they won – they went undefeated. And Brian Greasy was – or Bob Greasy was hurt half the, the freaking season. <laughs> like, That's right. They, they didn't they need him because they ran the ball. And then all of a sudden you get Dan Marino and you change everything. He was just unbelievable, man. And uh, I have a bottle of steak sauce in the fridge as we speak. Um, the guy's just done everything. I know him from my trips to Orlando and Don Shula Steakhouse being – Class act, top class. You expect the best when you go there. And he did the same thing as, as with our Miami Dolphins franchise. So he's both spoiled us and made us cranky. Uh, but for that, he did his best. And we have to uh, tell him to rest in peace with everybody up there. And uh, I know <clears> – <throat> sorry, I know Zonka said it best, uh, choking up behind tears, that there's a lot of guys hooting and hollering in heaven right now because uh, d- the Don just showed up and they're hanging out. So –
1: yeah, he looks like a guy that you'd want to throw a, you know, a cognac back with, you know. He just seemed oh, yeah. like even probably even the last days on earth he was probably enjoying, uh, you know, a high-end whiskey or some sort. I'm going to tell you one story um, it, it, I never met Don Shula personally, but um, I, I was at a, a San Francisco Giants-Los Angeles Dodgers game many, many years ago. As you know, I'm a Los Angeles Dodgers uh, fan. Uh, this game was actually in San Francisco, so I was just being pelted by Giants fans here, le- here, there, and everywhere. And there was this elderly guy in front of me, and he's just talking shit the entire time. And the Dodgers happen to be winning, so I'm just throwing it right back at him. And, uh, you know, he's a nice guy. You can tell he doesn't want to be a jerk, but we're, 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 we're just misaligned when it comes to our baseball teams. So we start talking, we get to know each other, and we know that we, we have respect for each other. We just have different baseball teams. And I go, all right, why don't, we, why don't we talk about this? Do you like football? And he goes, I love football. He goes, who's your team? And I go, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. And he just goes, fuck you. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so we're, we're, we obviously disagree with the uh, with the Dodgers and the, and the, and the Giants. Uh, what are you, like a Jets fan or something? Or a Bills fan? And he goes, I'm a Steelers fan. And I go, we don't have a rivalry. Why are you saying fuck you? And he goes, I'll tell you why I'm telling you fuck you. Dan Marino should have been a Pittsburgh Steeler. And the reason why he's not is because Don Shula planted that story about cocaine use so that Dan Marino would fall <laughs> all the way down to him and then he could take him. And I was like, I have never heard this conspiracy theory before. He, he was actually uh, suggesting that Don Shula, of all people, planted the cocaine story about Dan Marino and that the hometown boy for Pittsburgh, Dan Marino, would now fall to the Miami Dolphins. That is his conspiracy theory, and I just thought, wow, that's probably not true, but how fucking awesome would it be if that was 100% true?
0: <laughs> Don Shula's in an office somewhere. You know who would hate cocaine use? The Roonies. Let's just say that Marino did it, and the Steelers will pass on him. That's their only chance. And then hope he falls 15 more picks to us. Like, really? That's that's the conspiracy? I mean, I've heard that before, but I thought it was all tongue-in-cheek, but there's, there's just no way he expected that to work, and maybe it's just one of those things that just was too stupid to uh to believe and it really happened. I don't know, but that's hilarious and he's like, Fuck you.
1: Listen, (laughs) I'm your Don Shula. I'm willing to bet if that was the case that that the whole story would be that Don Shula actually planted cocaine on Dan Marino. I think he's that much of a badass. He's like, I'm not taking any chances here. You're going to have cocaine on your person so that the day that we have to draft you, you fall to us because we don't want that fucking idiot that uh, ends up going to the Jets or that uh, Jim Kelly guy. No, we want Dan Marino. So I don't know. I just love that story. I remember that thing going. Wow, I've never heard that before. And I just kind of chuckled my, you know, tickled me here. So uh, rest in peace, Coach. And uh, man, I, we we covered a lot of ground here, Chris. We talked about Don Shula. We we talked about Devontae Parker. We talked about Tua jerseys. We talked about the schedule. Um, anything else you want to talk about on this trip to Perfectville?
0: Uh, no, that's it, man.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's a really good episode. We appreciate everyone sticking with us for four-plus years when it comes to the wow. Welcome to Perfectville podcast. Uh, we enjoy doing this still. Chris enjoys doing it. I enjoy doing it. And on behalf of Chris, the two-time, yes, two-time Hall of Famer and doctor and the Big Heads Media Podcast Network and the DolphinsTalk.com Podcast Network, Goodbye from Perfectville. Later. Thank you for
0: listening to Believe.